Hi, this is Sean Sipos. I play Adam Strange on Krypton, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to another declassified edition of Neil Before Pod, the podcast that survived the snap. I'm your host Craig and I'm delighted to bring you a discussion of the most recent season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 6. Joining me today is a man who can't seem to get enough of the Marvel Universe, so much so that he's back from the dead. Or is he? It's Chris. Or should Hello. I call you Chris? God, I really need to work on my code names. <laughs> it's so obvious that nobody will suspect anything. I know, the fans campaigned and said that I was definitely alive and not dead, so now I'm back by popular demand. Yeah, no one would be stupid enough to use their actual name as their code name, so it should be fine. That's what we want everyone to think. Yeah. So, here to talk Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. once again, maybe a bit late, but I think it's about to appear on Netflix, so maybe we're on time. Yeah, I think it's all relative, isn't it? If you've watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. recently and you fancy hearing two people waffle a load of nonsense about it, then you're in the right place. There's also the fact that we don't care and we just decide to talk about stuff and it doesn't matter about the timing. Yeah, we'd probably be having this conversation anyway, granted, without the microphones and all the hassle, but we might have this conversation anyway. (laughs) I think it'll get to a situation where we're just going to be mic'd and recording all the time. (laughs) <laughs> and then we just cut our podcast together from just random conversations. It'll make life so much easier. Well, it's the stuff that everyone wants to hear, isn't it? According to some. Right. Before we get on to our featured topic, let's go back to our nominated feature. We didn't do one for Endgame because it was long enough, as you may or may not have heard. Endgame Mark Two, the second coming, the second podcast, that other podcast. So yeah. So let's move on to our recurring feature, Neil Before Rise Against. And I want you to begin with a Neil Before. A Neil Before. I am going to Neil Before the brand new Jojo Rabbit trailer, which Taika Waititi has put out recently. I've worried about this film because it doesn't sound like it should be good but the trailer just looks a lot of fun and some serious bits in there as well it looks like it's a really good mix so yeah I I really enjoyed that trailer I've somehow missed the trailer I haven't watched it yet I know it exists and I'm looking forward to seeing it but I haven't seen it yet so it's exa- exactly what you'd expect from the premise. <laughs> For those of you that haven't heard about it, it's a boy in Germany who ends up with Hitler as his imaginary friend. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> of the figures to pick. But yeah, I'm not doing it justice, but the trailer is online now. He put it up on his uh, social media, I think about a week ago, at time of recording, something along those lines. So yeah, go and check it out if you want. I also particularly like that the music, it's modern-day popular music in the background, but uh, sung in German. 
Oh, so I'm to... not going to recognise any of this music then? No, no, no. I, well, so it's not from the 40s and the 50s. It's music from like the 70s and 80s done in German. Oh, so not modern so, so, day. So not, not, or... modern, not modern day, but you know what I mean, like pop music, not from the 50s and 40s. If I like said. ABBA and stuff? Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I'll watch the trailer. I'll certainly watch the film. If, and I if, may watch the you trailer. Know, if you want, just for the music. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, sure. So there's that. Watch it in the show notes. Why not? Cool. I'm going to kneel before. I actually had a long list of stuff. There's been so much <laughs> happening. But I'm going to go with something that is relatively recent. In fact, completely recent. The most recent of my list. They're doing a reboot or remake or re-something. They're making another face-off movie. Ah. <laughs> and face-off is one of those films that is just too ridiculous for words. You have moments in it where Nicolas Cage is pretending to be John Travolta, pretending to be Nicolas Cage, <laughs> and vice versa. It's insane. It's the two or two of the most animated personalities of their time pretending to be each other, and it's so much fun. And I'm actually surprised they didn't have, every five years or so, just big actors swapping faces with one another. As just a premise. bring it up to date each time. Yeah, yeah. I would be, you know, you could sell that, surely. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it would have been a no-brainer. Let's have Arnie and, I don't know, Dolph Lundgren swap faces. <laughs> Why not? That's, I don't know. So they're going to do this. I don't know what actors they're thinking of, but they must have someone in mind. I've no idea. I'd be surprised if The Rock wasn't in it. Maybe he'll swap faces with someone that can take a punch. Oh. <laughs> he'll beat know. you up, man. He'll beat you up. So it has to be two actors of equivalent size, so that probably means The Rock won't be in it, because no one's that size. It'll just be The Rock swapping bodies with The Rock. Yeah, it'll just be two yeah. of him. I don't know, I guess with digital technology you can do it, but it'll look kind of stupid. The whole idea is they swap faces and they can are able to pretend to their families and friends and stuff that they're the person that they aren't. So it would have to be someone that is roughly the same height. So can you think of any modern pairings that that might? Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of who you could try and, and swap around. Chris Evans and Chris Pine. Let's just have the the Chrissies. The movie Chrissies. The movie Chrissies swap. Yeah, yeah, that'd be quite fun. You know, you could throw in Pratt there. It could be like a free threesome, freeway. Have all <laughs> just have, have all the movie Chrissies. All the movie Chrissies in one thing. Chris Hemsworth and Liam Hemsworth. Yeah, just do it Hemsworth. So you could do it Hemsworth. <laughs> could you not do Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Hiddleston? Or I'm trying to think of who you could do. Like make it a weird combo. I don't know. There's loads that you could do in there, isn't there? <laughs> I'm leaning towards the Hemsworth idea because Chris Hemsworth could play, you know, himself, the alpha male, super popular guy that gets all the best roles, all the chicks, everything. And you've got Liam Hemsworth who doesn't have a taste of that success or that level of success. And they swap faces and they both learn how the other lives. <laughs> Liam Hemsworth Why learns not? what it's like to be his brother and Chris learns what it's like to be his brother. Which I imagine is less appealing. Poor Liam. Don't pick on Liam. I don't mind Liam Hemsworth. I, I don't like. I don't dislike any of them. Put Luke Hemsworth in. No one's heard of him. Or no, the one they made who? up in the Good Place. Uh, Larry. Larry, <laughs> Larry Hemsworth. 
Yeah. <laughs> he's practically a saint, but it's still not good enough. <laughs> yeah. So that's that face off reboot. I'm excited. I know there's a bit of backlash against it, but I'm surprised they haven't done it sooner. And I'm surprised there aren't like 10 face off movies by now. Yeah. There is a bit of a thing at the moment of them going back and sort of flipping through their back catalogue and remaking stuff at the moment, but. It's not a Fox movie, is it? Uh, no, it's Paramount. Okay. Ah, okay. We're safe. I was so just... It's not Disney raiding the back catalogue. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, what have we got? Oh, we'll do this. So that'll be fun. I hope. I mean, you can always watch the original if you don't like it. So go for it. That's film. true. I mean, the, the thing is, it's not like the original disappears when the new one is made. You can still enjoy that as much as you like. Yeah, no one comes and eats your originals. But at the same time, there's some things I'm like, why are you remaking this? This is pointless. So there we go. Let's move on to Rise Against. What are you rising against? I am rising against scientists trying to disprove the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> Giant eels? Nonsense. There's it's not no giant di- eels. It's There's a no monster. dinosaur DNA in Loch Ness water, don't you know? I think it's a lie and a cover-up. So you will catch me with my binoculars sitting by the banks of Loch Ness. I was camping up at Loch Ness once. This was years ago. And someone decided they were going to try and catch Nessie with square sausage and black pudding. Now, if there was a way to attract Nessie to the shores, <laughs> that would be it, wouldn't it? Yes, it's but like, it didn't work. Like a morning she, slice sausage roll. Yeah, you know? she was wise. She was wise to us. <laughs> it was just a waste of a perfectly good square sausage. <laughs> I don't like black pudding, so she can have all that she wants, but it was a waste of a sausage roll, so or rolling sausage. Or square sausage. Whatever it was. It was a waste of that. That is almost worthy of me rising against. Throwing perfectly good square sausage into the water. Yep. Uh, You don't need that. But yeah, scientists, stop ruining our fun. Yes. How dare they (laughs) further our understanding of the world around us. Don't you realise there's a tourist industry here, man? That's not going to be affected. The idea of Nessie will endure. Plus no one said that she doesn't exist. It's just that the sightings have been attributed to mm. giant eels, perhaps. Maybe the giant eels are in league with Nessie to cover up her identity. It's cover up. That's what it is. There we go. Take that, scientists. Disprove that. <laughs> Science. What have ah. you ever done for us, anyway? <laughs> Rise against science in general. Rise against just the whole, <laughs> the whole scientific community. I don't actually believe that. I'm very scientifically progressive. I think that we should do more science. I don't know. I think you'll find the record states when quoted. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm in control of the editing. so. That's oh, fine. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, my rise against is... I was a bit conflicted about this one, although it was all Star Wars. I'm rising against the fact that we're getting an Obi-Wan TV series. I don't want one. I don't care. Why are we getting this? It's apparently set eight years after Revenge of the Sith despite the fact that Ewan McGregor is more than eight years older than he was at the end of Revenge of the Sith. So I just don't see the point. I don't see what story there is left to tell with Obi-Wan. I'm normally excited about these Disney Plus things. The Mandalorian is something I'm excited about because it's something I haven't seen before. The final season of The Clone Wars is something I'm excited about because I like The Clone Wars and it gives me something different, even though it's for familiar characters. In fact, that'll give me more Obi-Wan as well. So... I'm not sure we really need a Ewan McGregor-focused Obi-Wan on Tatooine in the desert series in the same way that we didn't really need a movie that they're now not making because they're making this (laughs) series. So I'm not that excited. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I don't think it's something that needs 
filled in at all. I don't think it's a blank that everyone's sitting there going, oh, well, we must see this. And like you say, Clone Wars sort of did a little bit of it, so it seems a bit unnecessary. Like you say, I've been excited about some of the Disney Plus stuff. I'm not against all of it, but do you know what? The thing is, if it's good, I will end up watching it, whether it needs to be in the narrative or not. If I end up with a Disney Plus subscription, then... I will try and get my money's worth. <laughs> if you end up with a Disney Plus subscription. I know. As as a, if it's in I mean, I could be convinced, massive Disney corporation, if you fancy maybe giving us some, some form of review access, you know, I, you might convince me to you know, come on board. But yeah, I'll probably end up watching it. That's the thing. As much as I could probably rise against it with you, I'll probably end up watching it. I mean, so will I. But, <laughs> but I'm not going to enjoy... But I will hate every second that I am watching. I mean, I might end up enjoying it. I'm just rising against the idea. Yeah, I'm with you on rising against the idea. I just don't think it's necessary. I think there's other stories to be told in that universe that are going to be more interesting. The Mandalorian is looking really good so far. It looks like something different. This doesn't. Also, I think it's going to feel too necessary to try and tie itself into everything else. So it may end up a bit like some of the films and the prequel type stuff where it's like, oh no, we've got to tick off this and this and this and this and this. It's all got to happen between now and then. Where he just hangs around with eight-year-old Luke Skywalker that shows up in every episode for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> inexplicably turning up all the time, yeah. Yeah. Ah, we'll see. I'm not that fast. Okay, let's move on to our featured topic. <laughs> Time to talk about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It had a sixth season. I was reviewing it. I stopped reviewing it. Not because I didn't want to. It's because I just was overwhelmed by everything else. All the work that I wasn't doing. I stopped less than halfway through the season. Which is a shame because, you know, I was really enjoying it. And I had stuff to say. And now I kind of get to say it. So that's good. So why not kick us off with spoiler-free thoughts. I really enjoyed the last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. If people listened to that original podcast, you'll know that I liked it a lot. I thought it was one of the strongest seasons that they've done, and I think they wrapped up everything really, really nicely in the end. So jumping into this season, I was wondering, especially since it had had a sort of, oh, it's going to happen, it's not going to happen, it's going to happen, it's happening. Sort of beginning to, I was a bit worried about what was going to come out of the season. I think it was all right at the beginning, and then it was really good towards the end. It was the sort of typical S.H.I.E.L.D. season for me, where the first half wasn't the best, in my opinion, and then the second half, it picked up a little bit. Fair enough. I enjoyed the season a lot. I was really interested in the mystery of Sarge from the beginning. I thought Clark Gregg did an excellent job. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Clark Gregg was back. He was in the trailers before the Mm. series aired so I think that's fine to say. I think he did an excellent job with this new character. I think they did a good job with the team picking up the pieces after he left or after his death at the end of the previous season. So I think they did a lot of good stuff with that. They expanded the scope of the show nicely. They expanded the mythology that they've built themselves nicely they did a lot of really good stuff here i think the shorter season length really helped as well 13 Hmm. episodes felt right it felt like a good length of a season we're always talking about as a broken record why is there 22 23 of these buggers why is everything taking so long although i thought agents of shield managed to get around that by doing their little mini arcs and they burn through plot very very quickly so i never really felt well, I'm not going to say never. Season 1 still happened. Season 2 to an extent. But once they started breaking it down into little 
sub-stories, I think they really hit onto something that other shows should be taking note of. And this season was one contained story, so it's almost like it's half a season, I suppose, in that sense. Because we're moving on to something yeah, else. It's a sort of half-season thing. Yeah. yeah. Shall we move on to spoilers and really dig in? Yeah, go for it. Okay, now we're completely safe to talk about everything. So the first question I think we should address is, did we need another season? Was it necessary? Or were they just cashing in? I don't want to say cashing in because it always seems to be hovering on the precipice of cancellation. So it's it's not as if they're like, yep, we're just going to wring every last penny out of this because there's so many people watching. I've heard people say, is that still on? I mean, that's not great. There was such a buzz when it started because it was, oh, it's going to be tied in and it's going to be like this and this and this. And it had a lot of buzz and it got given a lot of PR and everything. And now it's just sort of released on the quiet. Definitely on the UK side. I don't know quite how much PR they do in the US for it. But you don't really see it, any sort of fanfare when it arrived. Yeah. So in terms of did we need another season, I suppose you can apply that question to any show that you watch. Mm. When you get into season two or three or whatever. Do we need more of this? Is there more story to be told? I suppose there always is. It's just finding it. And I think there's merit to the post-Colson Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. world to explore that. There's all sorts of different things that you can do with that. And there's all sorts of different things that they did do with that. Although at the same time, if season five had been the last and the last shot of it had been Colson and May stepping on that beach in Tahiti that they were totally on and not in <laughs> any way not on. Not in any way green screen. Yeah, that would have been perfect. It would have been a satisfying conclusion. I think the best part of it is there's a suggestion that it continues. You know that it continues. You know that there's things that are unfinished. There's things they still have to do. And if a show ends like that, I'm happy with that. I don't want to think that these people stop existing because the show's not on anymore. So I guess the difficulty is, do we have the necessity of another season where we see what happens when the show ends? And is it going to be better or worse than what I would have wanted for it? And I would never have predicted that it goes this way. My season six of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wouldn't have had Clark Gregg in it at all. Not because I don't like him. I just wouldn't have thought, hey, let's have a weird time-displaced possessed duplicate of Coulson as the villain for the season. (laughs) That wouldn't have crossed my mind, to be honest. So props to the writers for thinking outside the box on that one. So, yeah, I thought it was worthwhile. I enjoyed it. I don't think it sullied the reputation or the memory of the previous season or anything that's come before. So, it does no harm. I'm with you on that. I don't think it sullies the previous season, but I do think the end of the last season put such a nice ribbon on it. It had closed the majority of sort of loose ends and things that were out there. So you had that sort of perfect finishing point going, well, if this is it, then I'm actually quite happy that this is the point they've done it. They've not left it a weird, wacky cliffhanger or anything like that. They've just sort of finished it off quite nice. This season, with the introduction of Sarge, I know it's not Coulson, but I know it's Clark Gregg. (laughs) (laughs) And it's one of those... Where you go, oh, hang on, the character got such a nice out. If you're now going to have some weird faux duplicate, not duplicate, brother, multiverse Coulson thing. Because when you first see him, you're like, I don't know what he is. So you're sitting there going, oh, what's this going to be? It's going to be time travel. It's going to be multiverse. It's going to be. 
and you spend most of your time trying to figure out what they're doing because you're like the characters had such a nice end in the last thing you don't want to bring back some evil doppelganger version that's had an absolutely horrible life and that they've now got to teach the right ways because we've seen that done in other tv shows where they've killed off a character and then they've realized maybe a season down the line that oh, do you know what? They were actually quite good on the show. We've got to get them back now. We've got to get them back. Or the actor leaves a TV show because they're going to get a gig elsewhere. And then that gig doesn't work out. So they end up back on your show, but they're like, oh, but we killed you off. So we've got to make you a future version of yourself from another timeline where something else happened and you've come back to save it. There we go. We've written it. It's done. So that's a long way of season. Did we need another season? No. Was I happy that the season was here? Yes, but with caveats and conditions. And we'll definitely come on to Sarge and him being Clark Gregg and what that means for us as fans and the characters within the show. Well, I think we should just start with Matt, his first season as a director, or as the director. And I like the way they did that. So Matt has always been kind of a confident, put-together guy who is not quick to anger. He's very level-headed. His moral compass is pointed in the right direction and you don't lose any of that and him as a director he's very different to Coulson but I also like that he's lacking that confidence privately you know consulting the Coulson recordings that are in that cube thing that Mm. always has the answer it seems we've been asked a question here don't worry I'll consult the cube and I'll get back to you (laughs) just everything's in there I mean how much did Nick Fury put in that thing and I'm guessing Coulson added stuff in the event of my death insert director name here I think you should do this. <laughs> it's like, you know, always got the right pearl of wisdom at the right moment. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that Coulson didn't always have all the answers as a director as well. He made a lot of mistakes. He was reckless. I think that people questioned his authority on several occasions. And I guess they kind of forget that now that he's dead and they don't have him around anymore. But the fact that Mac is outwardly pretending to be this confident guy because he has to inspire respect amongst the people especially since he's recruited a few new ones at this Mm. point. So them out there have to be sure that he can do the job, can keep them alive. Because if they don't trust him, if they don't believe in him, then they'll be less effective. So it's when he gets in private, and May is allowed to see that side of him as well, because she understands. She's high up enough. She gets it. So I liked that. I think they did that really well. And the little bits of sanctuary they had as well, like going to the bar, he just goes for a beer. And he goes to church that we hear about as well. And I feel like a lot of TV shows are quite reluctant to let a character be religious because it is such a contentious issue. But Mac is so casual about the, yeah, I'm a man of faith. What of it? The only other character I can think of in recent times in a show like this is Matt Murdock, whose Mm. Catholicism was a huge part of his character. And whereas Mac's religion is less of that because you don't really see him go to church. In fact, I don't think it ever happens. It's just mentioned that that's one of the places that he goes to get away from it all. It's part of it, and it's not hidden from him, and that's good. I do like that a lot. Yeah, I think when characters are given room to breathe a little bit, and he's a character that we've had for many seasons now, isn't it? It's season two. Since season, season two, so yeah, so he's been in for ages now. So it's one of those where you've got to see him develop and becoming sort of a reluctant leader, but then owning it. Because you get it so often where it's the reluctant leader and they just instantly become the perfect leader at that point because they're filling in a gap and other characters left. Whereas with this, it's like he knows he's got faults. He knows he doesn't always make the right decision. 
but he's given room to grow in the show, and I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I like the little affectations when someone was clicking a pen, I think it was, in the first episode, and he's like, don't do that, it's distracting. <laughs> I mean, it's not a big moment, but it's, it's a good moment. And throughout the back and forth he has with Sarge, the fact that he's that pillar of strength for the people that are all like, this is Coulson, this guy looks exactly like Coulson, doesn't that bother you? And he's like, yeah, it does, but it doesn't really stop him dealing with them in the way that he needs to be dealt with. Mm. The deal that he makes with them that he then reneges on is quite good, for example. And it can't be easy for him to do that because he looks like Coulson, but at the same time, I guess the fact that he knows that it can't be Coulson helps him deal with it. Yeah, that was the whole thing with the Sarge thing, wasn't it? Where they're going, no, 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 it's not Coulson, it's not Coulson, it's not Coulson. And then they go, but what if it is? <laughs> they end up getting sort of tied in knots, but he's the one that sort of stayed quite true to the it's not Coulson line throughout really. And I like seeing how being director affected his relationships so him and Yo-Yo are no longer a Mm. thing or at least in the beginning they're no longer a thing and she's going out with whatever his name is the guy that dies pretty quickly Davis is it? No Davis is the only one he dies too whatever his name is he's in the first couple of episodes and then he's killed by one of the weird bat alien things. Mm. So she's with him and they're keeping it hidden because well Max a big guy <laughs> might not want to cross him and also he respects him too much and it's something that they have to tell him at the right moment and things and then he finds out about it and he's okay with it or at least outwardly okay with it and again he's projecting this image of someone who is coping where he's not really but there's also that conversation he has with Yo-Yo where he's like I miss having you by my side I miss we our talks and he, she's like no you're the one that walked away yeah. this was your decision so it- don't turn this back on me sort of the toils of leadership kind of thing that he feels more isolated at the same time and even though he knew about the relationship he waited for her to tell him about it rather than him confronting her face to face about it yeah there's bigger fish to fry Mm. and as a director he can't be getting involved in these kind of soap opera plots and i'm so glad that they don't dive into that because the last thing we needed was another bloody love triangle on a TV show that I watch. I did think that that's where they were heading, obviously, up until he gets killed off. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, it's going to be a, oh, the boss is against me because I'm going out with you kind of thing, and that's what we're going to end up with. And I Maybe was glad he they didn't go there. Deliberately putting him on dangerous missions because he might die. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. And that's one thing they never quite touch on. Obviously, he's now in charge of his friends, whereas before he was one of them. He was among the troops, so to speak. And he is ordering them into dangerous situations. And they don't really touch on the will-they-come-back side of it. Yeah, I mean, they do fast-forward in this show a little bit because when we last saw them, they didn't have themselves all quite sorted in the lighthouse. They didn't have all the staff that they've got now at this point. It's still a smaller operation than it ever was, but they have skipped forward a little bit. So maybe that's conversations that have already been had. Maybe. I mean, he said goodbye to an entire team and they went into space. So presumably, in comparison to doing that, sending people on smaller scale missions are a bit easier. Yeah. And I touched on May being one of his confidants. She's the ear when he needs an ear. Mm. But she's gone through a lot because she lost Coulson. She mentions her last days with him and how they got longer than either of them expected, which is bittersweet because you're dying. Obviously, that's not a good thing. But at the same time, they did get a bit of extra time, all these stolen moments. And she's 
really grieving. She's really struggling. And I think we see May in a more vulnerable state than we ever see her in any previous seasons. I mean, Aaron will take any opportunity to give the show a kick in. In the same way we take the opportunity to give the Flash a kick in, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And one of his main criticisms was about how May is this kind of emotionless robot. And then when she does let her shields down, sometimes it doesn't really work because you don't expect that from her and i think she's mellowed a bit over the years but i think this season she's very much about i want to be part of this unit i want to be part of this family that we've found for ourselves so she has that emotional attachment to everyone and she does let her barriers down a lot throughout and that was good to see because I think Ming Na Wen is such a good actor and it's really good to let us see that range that she's capable of. Yeah, I think it's been great because that's another character that you've seen slowly change and as much as some of the progress has been glacial with her sort of letting people in, you still get these funny moments. You still get these little bits of our true intentions coming out and I think that's been really neat to see. I liked that we got a couple of little flashbacks of our last moments with Coulson. The fact that she had had that time and the characters, they had both got to say goodbye properly, I liked. Because one of my worries going into the season was that they were going to cut that short in some sort of way. You know, they'd be taking her away from the beach and he's still there kind of thing for some urgent mission or whatever. The fact that she's managed to actually get a bit of closure there is good. The fact it's still raw and then... We've already mentioned you get Sarge, a doppelganger, turning up at probably the worst possible time through that grieving process and her reaction to that. Well, after the flashbacks, they came at a point where Sarge was reminding her of him. Mm. And it was the little things he said, the way he said them, and that was what triggered her happy memories. And it was that conflict between... She was essentially being tortured at this point, and she was being tortured by those memories as well because they were being warped and perverted by Sarge who is somehow saying the same things in almost the same way although I like how that inspires her to beat the crap out of him as well (laughs) yeah how dare you ruin this perfection that is the memory I have of my last days with Coulson I'm going to punch you in the face and that's a very May thing to do I want to deal with my issues by punching them and if that's how she copes, fair enough. And the fact that she gets to punch Sarge in the face to deal with that is incredibly cathartic. The fact you get that vulnerable side to her that you don't normally see was neat in there. It was good. And her acting's been brilliant throughout the whole season, but I think the characters just got better and better and better over time. Uh, because you get to know them so well, they can play about with it. Yeah, and May does a lot throughout the season. She deals with a lot. I think her connection to Sarge is really good. I think the role that she plays at the end is really good because you always get the highly capable stop at nothing force mm-hmm. of nature that is Agent May but the fact that you get that more vulnerable side to her I want to see them play a bit more with the maternal side of her because I really liked seeing that last season albeit briefly but maybe that's to come next season you only got that small moment and then you got her when she was originally training Sky up to be an agent or Daisy um, <laughs> Daisy sorry no yeah uh, Daisy up to be an agent. It was that I really, really liked. When they first sort of did that playoff, I thought that was really, really neat. When she disappeared through the portal in the sort of the last thing, I was like, oh no, I can't believe they've done that to her. And I was like, oh, well, there'll be some other duplicate or whatever coming back, but I was glad that we've still got her. Well, in some ways, I feel that at the end of the season, the good guys didn't really lose anything as such. I mean, we lost some of the new characters throughout. 
couple of them died through the shrike, but they weren't developed enough for their deaths to resonate in any meaningful way. So it's just your oh, red no. shirt. I've got to say, I was really, really upset when Davis went. <laughs> I've got to say. Yeah, I mean, that worked fairly well. He's been such a fun character. I'm like, yeah, if I was in S.H.I.E.L.D., I'd be the Davis type. Pretty much useless, but there and dependable. And then he just gets taken out in the most unceremonious way possible. I'm like, but he's not dead, right? He's he's still alive. Oh, no, no, he's dead. He's dead. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's that, gone. He's gone. And I was like, oh, I can't believe that. So I'm, I'm going to have to start a Davis Lives campaign. <laughs> Davis Lives? Yeah. There's going to be an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. spinoff. Yeah, on definitely. The mystery of a resurrected Davis. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no. Why not? We demand. We demand a resurrected yeah. Davis. We the fans will be listened to. Hashtag Davis lives. Disney Plus series? <laughs> yes. This is what Disney Plus was made for. <laughs> for fulfilling our weird little fan. Yeah. Fans. I was like, Davis, I was I, I was a bit hurt when Davis went. The other, the other guy, not as much. Davis, yes. I was like, I can't oh. even remember his name. That's I know, that's the problem. Yeah. It's like, other guy. I should yeah. look it up, but I feel like we'd do him a disservice if we just pander to knowing his name by now. I'm going to find out that he's been in about six seasons and we've just never quite clocked him. <laughs> no, he's definitely new. So as I was saying, the last couple of episodes it looked like they were in dire straits, as they always do in season finales and I thought May in particular might be going out on a noble sacrifice. Mm. We've only got one season left. Maybe it is. And then there was the whole okay, she's alive as long as she's on that side of the portal so she can affect the situation on that side of the portal. Fine, I'm okay with that. But as soon as she comes through here, she'll bleed out and die. And then she comes through, and then Simmons shows up and is like, oh, don't worry, I've got a time machine now. Oh, yeah, and uh, medical tech, so she'll be fine. Like, <laughs> All right. Yeah, I did think that that was a bit of a cop-out of like, uh, yep, yeah, get her on ice, get her in the bag. Here we go, sorted, all done. And I was a bit like... Uh, okay. And then I'm like, well, knowing that it's a final season coming up, I'm like, I suppose it makes sense. Would you take out one of the long-running characters now? Probably not. So, yeah, I suppose so. But I did think, like, the noble sacrifice at the end, like, the only way that she could save them would be walking through the portal, walking through the portal would kill her. She did make that sacrifice, it's just you then get kind of cheated out of it by the whole time travel thing. Yeah, but And that's kind of my little problem with the finale. If you're like, oh, well, Sarge is gone, and that sort of ties up that chapter again, and they're like, ha no, we've made a, a Coulson robot. Well, and we'll get like... to that. <laughs> <laughs> Although when May was not alive and well, but when she was able to function on the other side of the portal, because it's supposed to be between life mm. and death or something like that, whatever it is, fine. We've had stranger things on this show. We're happy to accept it. I kind of thought that him running her through with a sword and shoving her through was his plan to ultimately bring down Izel. Like At that point, I was starting to think, well, no, maybe he is being genuine, but this is his way of being genuine. Throughout the series, you don't get a real sense that he actually cares about who gets in his way or what gets in the way of his mission. So he'll do whatever it takes, kill whoever it takes, destroy whatever it takes. So the fact is, I'm going to sacrifice me because... I don't really care about her, but I'm going to make it look like I did that to shove her through the portal so that she can help on the other side. The fact that he wasn't doing that is a bit weird. I'm also a bit confused as to why it didn't occur to either Sarge or Izel that she would be fine on the other side of the portal. Yeah, I was with you 
when I saw that she was suddenly able to function on the other side, I was like, oh, well, it was planned. And then it's like, oh, no, 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 it wasn't planned. I, I kind of messed up by doing that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, because they both look really surprised when she chucks the stones through. It sort of confused me a little bit. I sort of lost track of <laughs> that bit of the episode. I couldn't work out. It was like, oh, he killed her. Oh, it's a double cross. Oh, no, she's alive on the other side. I thought she was going to get sent to the other side, get possessed by something on the other side, and then walk through healed. That's what I was thinking. You know, you were going to have a, a sort of a badass Coulson replica and an even more badass May replica walking about. That was maybe going to be how you were going to finish the season. With sort mm. of uh, two more evil deities going about. I didn't really think along those lines. When he chucked her through the portal, I was like, okay, that won't be the end of her. They're not going to really offer in such a way. Although it was a shock. Because I think at that point I'd almost bought into Sarge being reluctantly on their side. Mm. It seems like, yeah, I want Izel dead as much as you do, so we're going to work together to make sure that happens. I was fine with that. And then when he learns more about what he is and then runs her through with a sword and shoves her through the portal, I was genuinely shocked. I think they played that really well. And it's quite rare for me to push aside my mistrust of a particular character to have something like that impact me. You know, normally in a moment like that, I'd be like, well, of course he was going to do that. Why did anyone <laughs> think any different? Of course the evil clone was going to do this. Yeah. I suppose the fact that they made May kind of believe it helps make us believe it. Yeah, it does sort of lure you in. Though there are plenty of characters at that point that are saying, why are you still trusting him? Why are you letting him walk about? Like you say, it's a double cross that shouldn't really work because we should know better by now, but you kind of get lured in a little bit, like the characters do over time. Yeah. So what about Fitz and Simmons? That's always an interesting one to talk about. I tell you, the way mm-hmm. these characters have changed since season one, it's never short of amazing to me. The fact that I couldn't stand either of them in season one. I could not stand them. Especially Fitz. He used to annoy the crap out of me. But by now, the show doesn't work without them. I think it struggles when they're not on it. It's, it's one of them for me. I, I think they're an integral part of it. I like that we got a little bit of them getting recruited by Coulson when they sort of were showing the memory earlier on when they had their little shared mindscape. They ended up uh, going yes. back to the day they got recruited. <laughs> yeah, they, we totally look six years younger makeup. <laughs> or seven years younger, whatever it's supposed to be. I, I thought it was neat. And when you get bits like that, it's like you do remember, it's like, oh, the characters have actually developed quite a bit and they've moved on. And I really like those two. I like the way they bounce off each other. I think the writers having to go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got these two people that act almost like one brain. They bounce off each other. They can put that on paper nice and easy, but getting two people that do seem to completely bounce off each other really, really well is difficult. Yeah. And I think the pair of them just do so well at it. They are sort of those inseparable characters, and obviously that's why they've done what they've done at the end of this. But it just and seems that fate, as well. I mean, it's fate just keeps pushing them further and further and further away. And you even get that bit where they're finally in the same corridor as Fitz. And at that point, someone zoops in and takes him out. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like, of course that happened. Uh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> when you think of those like Don Bluth films where it's, you know, oh, look, they're over there, they're over there. Just turn your head to the left. Just turn. See, uh, it's the bit where no. the Zephyr flies away from that planet. And then they just walk in. Appear next, yeah. For God's sake. <laughs> and it's like we were talking about during the Endgame thing. How small is space that they just keep running into them? They keep appearing in the same places. <laughs> it's like, how can you keep missing this guy? Yeah. 
Or how could you ever hope to be anywhere near him? Because mm. space is quite large. I mean, there's nothing bigger than it, literally. Yeah. How could it be this conveniently turning up close to you when space is so big, but you're still not being able to find him? Yeah, and I'm kind of glad they didn't do that tease too much. Well, maybe they did do it too much. It was turning into a joke by the time they finally got reunited. Yeah, it was kind of, what, was it about three, four times I think they did it, and that was like, okay, finally, they're in the same spot. Okay, we're fine. Yeah. yeah, and that Mindscape episode is great. I mean, it seems like whenever we have an off-format episode, it's a Fitz or Simmons episode, mm. so having an off-format episode that's the Fitz and Simmons episode feels oddly fitting, because when we had that one where she was on that planet by herself for however many months or whatever it was, however many days mm. it was, and then you had that one where Fitz was in prison, where Hunter eventually turned up, and that was a really good one as well, although not as good. And then this one, you get to really explore them and their relationship and how that's developed and what they mean to each other. And the just the layers that they throw in there is amazing. I think the way they pick it up after the fact that Simmons was married to another version of Fitz that's now dead. And, <laughs> and Fitz is like, what the hell? And he's jealous of himself because he's not that same person because he's had different experiences. And then you have the evil fits thing to deal with again because this version <laughs> hasn't dealt with it but also Simmons is bottling up a bunch of things that she keeps in a box and it's this weird horror movie creature that represents all of the repressed emotion because she wants to appear all centred and reasonable and proper all the time and her dad has taught her to compartmentalise everything and hmm. Of course, it's that very British sort of, yes, uh, stiff upper lip, put it in no, a box no, in the not, back of your head. Not British. Yeah. Not British. English. <laughs> and Fitz points that out, and he gets to it because he's Scottish. And that's got to be one for us. Yeah. It's got to be one for the Scots, and possibly the English, who might understand that. <laughs> but in America, you're watching that, and they're like, huh? You know, but... It's one for us, and I wouldn't be surprised if Big Ian campaigned for that line. You may have done. You never know. Ian, you're welcome on the podcast. Anytime. We've put all the invites out, you know, you're more than welcome. Still waiting for that email. Yeah, I really enjoyed that episode, and a lot of the times I don't like episodes where they sort of take you away from the stuff that you're wanting to watch. It's like, yeah, we're just going to pause everything else and put you over here for an episode, but I really liked that one. But at that point, that's what I wanted to watch. Yeah, it gave you good insight into the characters, it gave you little bits of the past. It was really the sort of mind-twisty thing where they're going through one door and ending up in a girl's bedroom, going yeah. through another door and they're back at S.H.I.E.L.D. It gives you the time you need for them to process everything that's happened, because mm. Simmons has a lot to tell Fitz. He's not been around for an awful lot. You know, he doesn't know that Coulson's dead, for example. He doesn't mm. know that he's dead. He doesn't know that there was a funeral for him. He doesn't know that... People have mourned his loss. He doesn't know that he was married or the other him was married to Simmons. He doesn't know any of this stuff. And he doesn't know that he has a grandson, which is hilarious. And Although he has about as much contempt for Deke as the other version did, <laughs> which I do think is funny. Oh, poor Deke. Although he is insufferable. Oh, Deke is, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to him. Yeah, That's the theme of the podcast. We'll get to him. We'll get to him later. But there's these really intrusive looks into these uncomfortable parts of the relationship. And you get the feeling that, or well, you don't just get the feeling, you understand that the previous version that was married to Simmons never had the opportunity to deal with any of this either. 
you know, they never had these conversations and there's just so much passion behind them. The bit where they say, all my damage comes from you, all my pain comes from you, well, I love you. And and that's just, yeah, we've never said this before, but now we understand why we're made for each other, but also why we challenge each other so much. And the fact that they're able to resolve that to some degree, even their evil selves are able to, I guess the, the correct parlance is, get it on. (laughs) <laughs> it's good to see evil fits again Leopold as they call him and I think he represented a decent enough threat as well you know the fact that they were being tortured by the evil selves was a cool each tool. one's alternate yeah <laughs> yeah so that was a nice one and then you get the indication of how they see their friends as well so there's a version of Mac in there there's a version of Daisy in there there's a version of you know whoever and they help them out but that's less what it's about. It's more about what their relationship to each other is. And I think that was the strongest episode of the season, for sure. And I really enjoyed watching it. I really enjoyed watching them two bounce off each other. And it was that reunion that had been a long time coming by the time we got to it as well. And it was these conversations that we never got to see. Because the challenge would have been, okay, we're reuniting these characters. From Fitz's point of view, he's been away from Simmons since the end of season four. Well, he's been frozen for a lot of that, I guess. Or maybe not that long. I don't know. He's been awake for a bit as well, and every waking moment he's thought about getting back to her. And at the point they do get back to each other, as writers, they must be thinking, how do we explore this relationship in a way that we haven't before? And they found it. They absolutely found it. I don't know what came first. The sort of Chromacons putting the mind in the box... Or them going, oh, actually, we need a way to explore all this. We can do it all in the mindscape and and do it that way. I don't know if one came before the other. And then it all just sort of merged nicely. But uh, I think the mindscape existed just for that purpose. Mm. That's its purpose. It's not about them solving time travel or whatever the Chronicons want them to do. It's about them having that platform, having that malleable reality that they can play with to give them that insight into their childhoods, into their evil selves, into the deepest sides of their psyche. They couldn't really do that otherwise. I mean, if you framed that without the Mindscape side of it, it would have just been two people sitting in a room chatting about their issues. And as fun as that would have been, as good as that would have been, as well acted as that would have been, this is just much more visually dynamic, much more interesting. It carries the episode much better because you have all that visual language to complement the spoken language. And I love the fact that in young Simmons' room, you've got Winnie the Pooh and Paddington Bear wearing safety goggles. <laughs> teddy bears with safety goggles. That's just so Simmons. Yeah, you don't want the teddy bears and that to get damaged, do you? Yeah, you don't want safety goggles. Safety you don't want them having one. chemicals in their eye. <laughs> and Enoch, he got a lot more to do this season. I like Enoch a lot. Yeah, Enoch's one of those ones that I've sort of warmed to. At first, I was like, oh, he's a bit annoying. And then he won me over last season. So I've got tons of time for Enoch. And then when I thought they had sort of reprogrammed him, that he was going to just come back and start killing everyone, I was like, oh no, you can't do that to Enoch. And then they backed out of that, so I was happy. (laughs) And his friendship with Fitz was really well done. That's another good double act. See, the thing is, Fitz and Simmons is a, a good double act. The sort of contempt that Fitz has for Enoch a lot of the time when he does something stupid is brilliant. You know, incredibly smart and also capable of doing the most stupid thing at that time to just cause everything to fall apart. It's just a great combination. Yeah. I mean, how many shows have we watched where you have some kind of artificial life form in it? So, the most obvious one is Data and Star Trek. Mm. 
and Enoch's a bit data-like, and I think, I'm not going to say that Joel Stoffer is as good as Brent Spiner, but he's damn good. He manages to get a lot across, so there's no emotion, but there's changes in the way his inflection is, and I think it's important to get that right, because you don't want them to speak like a robot, so they're supposed to imitate sentience. I mean, he is described as a sentient chronicon, so... He is still imitating emotion and all mm. that stuff. So he does that very, very well. But yeah, as you said, the kind of lack of understanding he has of how things work. So he has a very mathematical, mechanical outlook on the universe. And he doesn't really understand the nuances. And the gambling episode was a good way of showing that. <laughs> and where he's basically counting cards, I think it is, is what he's doing. It's the equivalent. And he's winning and he's winning. And he doesn't realise that it's suspicious behaviour. So that gets <laughs> them rumbled. And then he doesn't realise he's being set up as well. Because the guy's nice to him and he doesn't know how to not take that at face value. Yeah, he's like, there's no way anyone would lie to me. This man is my friend now. (laughs) So, yeah, okay. Deception's not a thing that exists. (laughs) Mm, No, it is. He's really good. But I also like how loyal he was to Fitz, calling him his best friend and Mm. things like that. He does everything he can to save him. He even rebels against his own people because he doesn't feel that what they're doing to Fitz and Simmons is right. So... It's really weird that you think they're going to get themselves out of the mindscape and then just so happens at the moment they've resolved their issues to some degree to a point where they can progress, Enoch manages to pull them out. That's convenient. Great timing. Yeah, and he spends a fair bit of time with the uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. guys as well, which is cool. Yeah, Enoch was good fun. And as you say, kind of stupid, but an endearing sort <laughs> of way. Yeah, normally it's the thing that I, I can't, so sanctioned or enjoy when you get that sort of thing, but no, that works for me in this. I think and Fitz it, is a little too mean to him at times. He can be. He can be a little sort of over snarky and really hurtful. Yeah. <laughs> in a way that if it was a human character, you'd be like they'd be in pieces by now, emotional pieces of the way you're treating them. It's like he's called you his best friend and you're just wanting him to die <laughs> at that yeah. point. Or he manipulates his friendship as well. He says, You're mm. my best friend too and then it's like, were you lying about being my best friend? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. Sorry. But not sorry, because you're a machine and I don't really care. And the way they tied Enoch into the Chronicom plot that was bubbling throughout the season, the fact that they'd lost their planet because of the Shrike and they were looking for another one, now it looks like they're set to be the villain of next season. I think the way they peppered that throughout was really good, because the way the Chronicoms have been introduced, so we first met them technically at the end of season four. Hmm. Uh, because it's certainly in the last scene we didn't know what it was it was just some guy in a black suit it could have been government agents or whatever at that point for all we knew but then they did a bit more work in the fifth season we had two we had Enoch obviously who then died in the future or was destroyed in the future and there was Noah when they went back in time and found themselves in the lighthouse he was waiting on them he didn't last very long and then we've got all these other ones and there's Chronicom Hunters there's other ones Atara seems quite cool i think Mm. she'll be a good antagonist and i think the people playing them are doing a really good job of kind of having the machine side of it playing out the hunter ones are really cool i really like their teleportation effect that's a cool effect yeah the sort of discs i think it's uh, rather neat sort of reminds me a little bit of stargate where they used to have like the ring transporter sort of things well you know more about it sort of a a little bit like that but a more up-to-date cooler version (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah um, so I'll be interested so, to see how they play with the Chronicoms next season. Yeah, I like them. I think they've got a lot of capacity to be villain. You know, any time you get super sentient, super brainy robots, you're like, well, this is going to turn wrong at some point. And I like the fact that it's been such a slow build for them. I don't think when they first invented them or brought them up, they were like, oh, well, they'll be a big season baddie at some point. But as you think about it, you're like, just the wrong shove. And suddenly they're like, no, 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 we're going to take this planet for hours now, so tough. It's the impressive fact that, that they've managed to bolt on parts to them that feel like they make sense. Mm. It totally makes sense. The fact that they've got sort of different classes as well, where they're like, no, 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 they are, is it anthropologist? Is that the type that he is? I'm yeah. trying to remember, yeah. So, you know, they're like, no, 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 we've reprogrammed the anthropologists. Now they're all hunters now as well. So even like the casual happy-go-lucky ones are being reprogrammed. Yeah, and we'll see how they play with them next season. I guess on to Daisy. I wouldn't say it's a huge season for Daisy, to be honest. She was there a lot. She did a few things. And she has some interesting interactions with people. And I actually really liked the way she reacted to the Sarge thing because it was the father-daughter thing they were playing into. And the fact that Daisy just became more violent as a result of this, when she snaps his neck to test a theory, that was really <laughs> brutal. I was shocked by that. So, okay. And then she just sat in the room and waited for him to come back because she kind of knew it was going to happen. I do like seeing that darker side of her. I think they struggled for something to do with her in this season. I kind of get her being captain when they're out hunting for fits. She's calling the shots when they're out and about. She's become a bit rougher when she's out there because of fighting to survive. Sort of thing, they can't be anywhere too long before people are coming after them. But, yeah, I don't think there was much for her to do in this season. I agree with you that she gets the most legwork performance-wise to do once she sees Sarge. Because, obviously, when she left Earth, she wouldn't be expecting to see a Coulson alike again. So, to suddenly have that as an issue when you arrive back, expecting the big greeting, the big welcome back, and to find that there's an entire crisis going on, and it's all based around Sarge. It's a bit of a hit. But I don't think she had much. The thing is that Daisy's had so much time to develop in other seasons. She's had big plot lines revolve around her. So, yeah, I think they can take some of the load off her in this one. I do like that she's still a little bit conflicted with Mac as director. Because she's had that sort of time herself in the chair and calling shots. So I liked seeing a little bit of that, but yeah, apart from that, I don't think there was much for her this year. There was little bits and pieces that I quite liked. Seeing her with Simmons, their friendship was good fun. And I've often criticised the show for not realising how funny Chloe Bennett is. She's very funny, just naturally. If you see her interviewed, you'll see that she's just hilarious. She's very outspoken and outgoing and very witty. And they don't always take advantage of that in this show. Back when she was going by Sky, they did more often, but when she's become Daisy Johnson, an inhuman agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., they've done less of that. The episode where her and Simmons get high in the casino <laughs> was hilarious. And it was just the bit where it was like, what's happening to us? And we are tripping balls. And then from there, it was brilliant. And they have this kind of heart-to-heart under the table, and then they have to figure out how to get out from under the table. And she has to make Simmons aim her hand so that she can like quake the people mm-hmm. that are coming after him. And it's little bits and pieces like that I think they did a really good job with. Her going crazy against the Shrike and unleashing her power was really cool. Especially when they had that bomb in the truck. And it's like, we have to stop this. And they're on a timer as to having to stop it. And, oh, the slightest jostle could set the whole thing off. And then she just quakes. (laughs) I think it's the casing off it or is it the door? Something like that. 
And she's like, well, we're going to blow up anyway. <laughs> and it's that kind of reckless behaviour, that reckless behaviour that I quite enjoy from her sometimes. I think it's usually well-placed as well. I don't think it's like, yeah, she's just stupid. It's like, no, there's no reason for her to be cautious in this moment. Yeah. because So someone's got to make that call. That's yeah. the thing, and, and she does it. I'm the same as you. I did like that episode where they were sort of ping when they were in the casino, and I do think their relationship has come on somewhat, but yeah, overall I don't think she had much, but there were some good bits in there. Yeah, it wasn't really her season, I suppose, but they managed to get her in where they could, and the early stuff where it was her, Davis and Piper, and Simmons on the Zephyr flying around the universe, basically making a bad reputation for humanity in the universe... It's like, do we really have to fight everybody we come across? <laughs> it's like, yes, they need to know that we're strong. It's like, do they? And I suppose <laughs> they do because they are constantly challenged. But she invites that challenge, I guess. You know, she kind of quakes first and asks questions later. I do like that they've ended up with a reputation. They were just looking for fits. I would like to see the early runs where they were just turning up somewhere and casually asking if people had seen fits. And then it's escalated to the point now where they're just like, quake first, ask questions later, around everywhere. Although all the places they go to seem horrible. You don't want to go to these places. There are all these kind of mucky looking industrial areas full of unsavoury people that look exactly <laughs> like humans. Conveniently. Uh, <laughs> for budget purposes. The, it's one thing against this season. Not very alien looking aliens. Kick, you're going to even get your odd blue Cree kicking about. You know, you don't get any of that. There's almost no excuse for it. You manage to get aliens every week on Star Trek. You manage to get aliens every week on any other show that has aliens in it. So give us a bumpy forehead or something. Just try something. Yeah, do a little bit. Makeup's a wonderful thing. It's probably not that expensive. You can make people look a bit convincing. Put some pointed ears on people or. Yeah, give, the, give them eight pointed ears. Yeah. <laughs> Do something to their eyes. I don't know. Just give us <laughs> aliens that look like aliens. What do we want? Aliens that look like aliens. When do we want them? Now. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's talk about Deke. We touched on him earlier. Yeah. He didn't have much to do this season, at least not to begin with. He doesn't appear until like episode four or something like that. And he's started a company. He, he is Steve Jobs. I guess. Maybe. He's rip-off Steve Jobs running his own business. I did have this thing at the beginning of the season. I was like, oh, they've kind of just written Deke out and they're not going to do anything with him. Because I was like, well, he's not in space and he doesn't seem to be hanging about with S.H.I.E.L.D. So what have they done with him? And having him sort of running his own rip-off business. Stealing S.H.I.E.L.D. tech. Basically (laughs) taking anything that S.H.I.E.L.D. have made and going, yep, I can use this now and start my own business with it. And the fact that he's been let to get away with it as well. I'm like, why did they let him just do that? I suppose they weren't really paying attention to him. Well, they've got someone basically on his staff. It's like, they know that he's doing it. So are they just like, ah, we'll just take tons of his shares and like we'll profit off it as much as he will. Yeah, (laughs) and then Sarge came after him because he doesn't belong there. Yeah, I like that he just shows up on detectors as well. You're odd. You shouldn't be here anymore. You're an anomaly. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have to kill you because you don't belong here. And that's just how cutthroat Sarge really is. I did like that episode where you're sort of seeing what he's been doing, but mainly for me, my issue with him came when Fitz and Simmons came back. Because it was a good couple of episodes where he was just annoying. <laughs> he just turned <laughs> up in scenes and you're like, go away, go away, go away. He just didn't seem to serve much of a purpose. They improved that towards the end, where they sort of had him fabricating the belts and stuff. But 
at that time as well, you're still questioning, like, how did he manage to get all these people into the lighthouse? <laughs> did he just yeah. sneak them in the back door, give them visitor passes? Well, who approved that? Surely someone knew. Although what they were making use of was something that's easy to forget is that Deke is quite clever. He did manage to survive in the future for quite a long time, so he's quite resourceful. Mm. But the fact that he became a rich tech mogul, I would never have predicted that. Again, no, I in my have. season six, that's not how I would have used him. No, I mean, Deke, for me, it was like, I think he would have just ended up as one of the field agents or a trainee or something if I'd used him at all in the season. I wouldn't have put him in that. I think it was a surprise. I think they had a lot of fun with that episode and what they did with him. The sort of inspirational quotes and the people following him about posting on Instagram and stuff, I thought was really neat and really silly with him. He is a smart character, but they only deploy that when they want to. They sort of overwrite it every once in a while and they take the sort of street smarts out of him. Now I get that he's sort of a man out of time. He's not used to the way the world works. He's still not quite figured it out. So his street smarts that he had when he was on the space station don't really apply anymore. But you still sort of feel that they make him a bit too much of a dope and a bit too much attention-seeking when you get them in, and that's what kind of grinds me a bit. So I can see why people might find the Instagram stuff fun. I didn't. I can't stand social media, (laughs) as I've probably said on several occasions. So all of these buzzwords that were floating about, I was like, what on earth are they talking about? I have no idea what they're even saying anymore. And I think that's the problem I have with things like Instagram or whatever, is that a lot of people who use them not that I use Instagram. There is a Neil Before Blog Instagram account that has never been used because I don't like it. I've tried to use it and I don't like it. So if anybody wants to run the Neil Before Blog Instagram account, give me a shout because I'm not going to do it. I can't be bothered. It's one more thing to learn. I'm getting too old for this crap. So when they are saying about these oh, hashtag this trending and whatever, I understand what those words mean. And I even understand what they mean in the context of social media. But I'm just not going to be engaged by it. I just think it was pandering as well. I don't think they did it very well. I don't know. I kind of liked the little bit they did at the end, which was sort of the Instagram stories bit, sort of showing it from the different angle. I thought that Maybe was Maybe they should have funny. fully committed and did the whole episode as an Instagram story. <laughs> I don't know. I think that would have grated on me after a while for a whole episode. But I mean, I if it was going to grate on me, bits. they should have just done the whole thing like that <laughs> and I would have just been annoyed. It's fine. But I don't know. It would have been something different. Mm. Sarge's attack as an Instagram story in these, what, 20-second chunks or whatever it is people put them in. So, yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. But I liked his relationship with Fitz and how they played with that. I think when Fitz saw all this stuff that they brought into the lighthouse, it's like, I invented that. That's mine. That's not yours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or it's the teleporting backpack and... Fitz is like, this is crap. You're an idiot. This will never work. (laughs) (laughs) Fitz is a bit of a dick, actually. It has to be said. He is a little bit. But the thing is, he's so proud of him at first that he's like, oh my God, you've solved this problem and you came up with a great idea of how to prevent Izel getting into, you know, body swapping and you've done all that. Oh, that's that's brilliant because we didn't think of that and you've solved it and then he goes down and finds that as much as he's been able to solve that by himself, what he's been doing with the rest of his time is basically copying his ideas and profiting off them. (laughs) Yeah. Not only that, he's sort of taken the life lessons that he's been given and sort of spun the word around to go, oh, well, to get on in life I need money and science needs money so 
I've got to make money by doing this to do science. There's some disturbing stuff. There's still that fixation he has with Daisy. <laughs> His framework fantasy all over is disturbing. Hilarious when Max sees it and it's like, if you say nothing about this, I'll give you 10% of my company. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I don't think we'll ever see a situation where Daisy and Deke are in a relationship. I really hope not. Unless it's in the framework. <laughs> yeah, that's it, like, yeah. yeah, that's the only way. Outside of his fantasy world, that's it. Yeah. I don't think Daisy would ever go for someone like him. And I think if that happens, I wouldn't believe it. I remember how boring her relationship with Lincoln was, and <laughs> this would be worse. So I can't see that happening, which means I find it difficult to buy into that fixation he has on her. Every time he brings her up, every time he talks about the woman that he cares about or doesn't even notice him, and she barely notices he exists. She's aware of him, but doesn't really give him any thought. And There was that whole uh, thing last season about the lemons. In my time, to show someone we like them, we put lemons in their bed or whatever, and then <laughs> he comes back and she's like, someone weirdo put lemons in my bed, or what's all that? <laughs> so I think if they know what's good for them, I say that as if I'm threatening them. <laughs> if, if they know what's good for them, if they know what's right for these characters, they'll keep that distance. They'll keep that point where Deke is lusting after her. I'm willing to bet that he thinks she's hot. And that's maybe where the infatuation comes from. It's this kind of unchecked infatuation that he's never really had any opportunity to move past. But I'm not willing to accept them in a relationship. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't think they'll end up in a relationship unless they do a major U-turn on the way they're doing Deke as a character at the moment. Yeah, um, which I don't think so. Yeah, which I think they've now written them into a way that it's not going to happen. Seeing them try to fly a jet was quite funny. I did enjoy that. It's like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to land. It's like, nope, coming in for a landing. <laughs> Slammed right in. And then him running about with the teleporter and he doesn't let it charge first, so he just runs and then it just it takes him like a couple inches down the corridor. Just a little bit further down the corridor and then it just yeah. drops him outside and amongst the wall again. <laughs> yeah. Also, that teleportation backpack is now just lying in the wild somewhere. Yeah. You think Simmons probably retrieved it while she was time travelling about. Yeah, that's hopeful. <laughs> it also reminds me of the one from Doctor Who that Martha put on. Ah, okay. You know, anything with a backpack and it helps someone time travel, it's got to be Doctor Who, right? <laughs> it wasn't time travel, it was just, I guess, space travel. It was only moving. Space traveling backpack. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem like one of those plot devices that you're like, should they destroy the time traveling backpack so that in future people like us aren't sitting there going, well, if only there was a space traveling backpack that they could get on at this moment in time. Rapid, quick travel backpack. Yeah, I guess you have to build in the limitation of it doesn't work very well. I mean, they can get around the taking time to charge. So I think, let's give the Flash another kicking. I think if this technology was introduced in the Flash, which, come to think of it, it basically has been. <laughs> but if someone invented a backpack that helps them teleport, I think by a season later it would be miniaturized as a watch. It would definitely be a watch or an app on a phone. <laughs> yeah, it would. Oh, yeah, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be like you hit, hit buttons on the phone and you just vanish. Yeah. yeah. I suppose <laughs> Agents of Shield doesn't really do that. They're quite rustic with their technology. You know, it's all the same kind of stuff. They have the the normal spy stuff, but they also have these big unwieldy machines that they have to do stuff with. So I quite like that. No, I do like that they normally don't miniaturise stuff too much. I kind of miss all the drones when they used to have the little investigative drones. I miss the all dwarves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those were cool, I suppose. There's something to be said about the early days of the show where they were this monolithic organisation that had infinite resources and <laughs> were tapped into everything and it was all very kind of... 
unethical, but they were using it for good means, so it's fine. <laughs> something to be said about the pre-Winter Soldier days of the show. If only it was a bit better, I suppose. I think if they'd done it better before upending it, then that's mm. something I would have liked to see a bit more of. True, 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 true. One thing about Deke that I did find really fitting was his, I'm not going to call it a relationship, but his dalliance with Snowflake. <laughs> I quite liked Snowflake. She was my favourite of Sarge's minions. She was just totally random and off the wall, and yeah, it was just a fun character. I don't think they had any grand plots or schemes for her. They were just like, right, okay, and one of them is going to be crackers. <laughs> there we go. I'm going to kill you so you turn into a butterfly. <laughs> I'm not sure what's more alarming about that sentence. <laughs> I mean, his other guy could breathe fire. That was cool. But yeah, Snowflake was good fun. And I like when she felt abandoned and she felt compelled to join or help the S.H.I.E.L.D. guys. And Deke was like, no, 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 we can trust her. And everyone's like, no, no we can't. <laughs> just got her hanging about and they're like, no, let's take her to a cell maybe instead yeah. of just leaving her roaming around. Deke's just a sucker for a pretty face. <laughs> Although his girlfriend, was it Sequoia? Something like that. Is that mm. her name? She's the showrunner or one of the showrunners. Ah, I didn't know that. Joss Fact Whedon's, of the day. Yeah, I think it's Joss Whedon's sister-in-law or something. Because it's a show he gave to his brother and stuff. But yeah, she's one of the showrunners, or certainly one of the writers, one of the producers, whatever. She's involved in the show in some way. So yeah, that's a fun fact that I don't actually know all of. It's a partial fact of the day. Yeah. In terms of like Sarge's crony, you already said that Snowflake isn't that well developed. They've fully committed to who she is and what she is and what she takes pleasure in. But I think... In the first half of the season, we didn't have reason to care about Jacko or Pax early on. But as it went on, they were developed a bit more. I like the whole Sarge left us behind thing, but we're still loyal because we understand what it takes to get the job done. I like that. That was really well done. And just how they kind of fit in. And there was always a sense of camaraderie between them. That's not easy to fake. I felt like they'd been at it for a long time. And that was the key thing about that dynamic. Yeah, it seemed like they all knew each other's sort of strengths and weaknesses, especially when they were caught and they were at S.H.I.E.L.D. And they were like, oh yeah, well, we'll be let out soon because obviously they've been through this kind of situation before and they've managed yeah. to break out, which means that they've been through tons of scrapes. It's been rough. They've obviously lost people on the way. It's brought them closer together. I did feel, however, that I wasn't too close to understanding how they had become involved with Sarge or anything like that, because it seemed like they were always lying. I don't know how many true stories were ever told by them. No, there's that, I suppose, but do you really need the truth? I mean, you just no. can't accept yeah. that they've been at it for centuries and they've seen a lot of destruction and they're, they're fully committed to what they're doing. And that's enough. You know, you don't really need the intricate backstory of all of them. You need that part to be consistent. And I think it shows in the actions as well. For example, in the episode that we talked about where they're invading Deke's company, they're methodical, they're highly skilled, they're really just on task, on mission all the time. And that is great to see. That's something they miss on these types of shows sometimes. You have a character that just behaves stupidly for no reason because they have to get caught. But I didn't really see any of that here. No, like you say, they're all organised and well-timed, even when they're bringing Sarge through and they're sorting that out. 
Yeah. When they're first introduced, they're planned, they know where they've got to go, even though it appears that they don't know where they're dropping into when they do. Yeah. They go through first, and then they've got to prepare for their arrival. And they lose a guy initially, yeah. stuck in the wall, which we're supposed to care about apparently, but don't. I mean, never been introduced to them, so. Yeah. <laughs> he's just the other member of their crew that's now dead. Now he's not a thing. Cool effects as well. The portal effects were so cool. They worked really well. I liked the sort of drawing. If you draw the circles on things, and it sort of turns them into a doorway. I liked that as a neat sort of trick. And he's Roger got it on the inside of his, his jacket and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like sort of drawing tunnels onto walls and such. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of it like that, actually. But, or yeah. the video game Portal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my favourite Portal stuff was where Sarge did the face-forward plunge into the Portal to perfectly transition to standing up. That was a neat manoeuvre. And he was jumping on board the ship. Yeah, and he was shooting at the same time. That was neat. Like you say, they know what they're doing with this kit. They've had it for years. It's not just like they're drawing a door and they walk through it. It's, it's all those sort of neat little ways of thinking about how they can use it. Yeah, I mean, that's a boring way to use it. It's like, oh, look, here's the shield base and here's the truck. They're connected. We'll just walk back and forth. But when you have people fighting where they're going back and forth through mm. the locations, that must be an absolute ball ache to film. That must be a nightmare. <laughs> Starting a fight on one side and then you've got to try and almost shoot it identically, but on the other set. Yeah. Well, we have to finish the kick on another set. <laughs> that kind of thing. They were really well used and they're really creatively used. Yeah, it's good tech. I like good tech in these types of shows. Also something that we've not seen on the show before. So that's yeah. it something with, like S.H.I.E.L.D. that's been running for so long. It takes a lot to bring something new in. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's different. Especially it's- when certainly at some points S.H.I.E.L.D. was always criticised for being uncreative. Because you did have them invading various you know, chrome locations. Because they had to go into a lab and do stuff. And sometimes the action wasn't that great. But I'll probably mispronounce his name. But Kevin, the director Kevin, whenever he does it, you know you're going to get a special action scene. And he does some Arrow episodes as well. And I can always tell when it's him. Mostly because his name comes up at the start of the episode. (laughs) But even if not, I would know it's his action scene. Because it's a good action scene. Versus the kind of pedestrian action scene that you might get in another episode. So when he directs Arrow, it's really dynamic it's really clever it's really well done next time you see an arrow episode with him directing wait for the action scene and you'll see it's a better fight than in most episodes so i'm gonna need to look out for that now i've only got one season to run that rule but because you'll never be able to watch any episode of arrow one from way back ever again no that's it it'll be dead to me after the final season it's like when the face-off reboot comes out someone's just going to come and destroy (laughs) <laughs> all of the previous copies of Arrow that you might have access to. There'll be a legal injunction in place stopping you viewing any of them. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It'll happen. Stephen Amell will come into your house, tell you you failed his <laughs> you've, show. You've, and, failed, you've failed my show. <laughs> and then destroy any facility you have to watch Arrow <laughs> for the rest of time. Anyway, we're too early to talk about Arrow. One of the big guy, Sarge, arguably the villain of the season. Because Izel, not really, she's supposed to be, but she comes in too late. And Sarge is there throughout. I like what they did with him. I was trying to think, would I be interested in this character if he wasn't played by Clark Gregg? But it's hard to think along those lines because so much of what they do with him is because he looks like Coulson. That's so much of how the S.H.I.E.L.D. characters react to him. How they deal with him is because of what he looks like, what he sounds like, and what he reminds them of. But as a distinct character in his own right, 
Clark Gregg does a great job of giving us this completely different person to Coulson. Although they do point out that they are similar. So his sense of loyalty is the same. Things like that. But it's perverted. It's a mirror image of him. And I think part of how well he works is because you get that little taste of Coulson in there, but it's soured. Oh, I completed the taste metaphor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I get what you're saying. Would I have been interested in this character if it wasn't? I probably wouldn't have been. I'm, I'm similar to you. It's like a lot of the things that make Sarge interesting is the way that the other people react to seeing him as Coulson. But I just kind of feel that the bit at the beginning, because it's unexplained and it just doesn't seem interesting enough, it didn't grip me enough. And I actually feel that it being Clark Gregg as Sarge almost distracted away from what he was doing as the villain at that point. Because you're spending so long sitting there thinking, hang on, why is this Coulson? Why does he look like Coulson? What's the mystery with this? Is he clone, evil? And you've got all that running through your head. When actually a lot of the plot is absolutely nothing to do with that at that point. It's these sort of creatures that have appeared and and never quite gets explained right. Even in the conclusion never seems to get explained right. So Sarge just really didn't hit with me much as a villain because they seem to play around a bit too much with oh but maybe he is a good guy trying to save the planet and maybe every time he arrives he's just too late he's just he's eventually he's going to save a planet and it's it's going to be this one and it just didn't seem to home with me i just couldn't quite fathom him see i preferred that idea of him as an altruistic mission as in he wants to stop Mm. planets from being destroyed because the shrike they'll just They're like the aliens from Independence Day. They'll move from planet to planet, consuming resources until everything's gone. And that has to be stopped. And the fact that he doesn't really care what he has to do in order to stop it, or it's not that he doesn't care, it's that he's accepted that he'll have to do questionable things in order to stop them. It's that clip you see of them swarming on this planet, and it's like, well, we've lost, see you later. And it's that... (laughs) Well, if I don't survive, then I can't stop them next time they try. So I'd be as well getting a head start on the next place while they're decimating this one. That's actually a smart tactical plan. And I much prefer the idea that he is ideologically different from the S.H.I.E.L.D. characters. Mm. So that gives them more to butt heads on. So you've got him as the leader of his gang, and you've got Mac, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., who's also responsible for protecting the planet and they're butting heads over how to do that and Sarge is like well if you're not willing to cross that line then you'll get nothing done you know that kind of argument seen it before but Sarge's line seems to be I'll stop short of telling you the full story I have the feeling that if Sarge wanted collaboration he could have just told him what was going on and he would have got full shield collaboration well he never wanted collaboration he just wanted them out of the way because I guess he thought they couldn't handle it because, but, but like you've got someone going, okay, so I've got more people and resources, I can help you. If his true thing was, oh, I want to stop them at all costs, using whatever resources I can find, using whatever I can get, I am going to stop them this time round. And you go, oh, and actually there's a team that could help me out if I explained everything right on. Now, do you go that, yeah, they've got off on the wrong foot because obviously he basically gets found killing umpteen folk <laughs> that turn out to have them in them. 
but you kind of feel that if an explanation had been given more than, oh, it's above your pay grade, oh, you wouldn't possibly be able to help. And when it comes and the clock is ticking and, oh, it'll all be over soon if you don't, instead of just going, okay, here's what's actually happening. Although doesn't it say something along the lines of, you're not willing to do what's necessary, so you're not worth my time. And he tries to recruit May because he realises that she will actually do what's necessary because mm. he leaves her in a room with one of them and she kills it to assure her own survival so she sort of understands. And then they do reluctantly work together eventually when their goals align. But then by the end of the season, Sarge learns what he is and who he is and flips a bit. So he still hates Izel. That always happens, but he's also connected to her. It's when it results in that fight where Daisy's quaking him and then Mac cuts him in two. I feel like there should have been more of a more interesting ending for that character than that. It does seem very unceremonious, doesn't it? He's like, that's the way he goes. Yeah. It's not even that. It's at odds with his behaviour in the previous episodes. It's at odds with his mission, the mission that we spent nine episodes dealing with. Because... It does feel like at the end of the ninth episode, the plot is all but resolved. Shriker gone. We've destroyed Izel's ship. She's not a problem anymore. I mean, of course she will be because we've got four episodes left. But at this point, it feels like everything's wrapped up. Cool. We've got Sarge in custody and he's showing signs of being a bit more Coulson-like. So maybe in a few episodes, we'll have a spare Coulson. Great. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a slightly more gnarly Coulson. Yeah. yeah, and everyone's kind of hoping that, yeah, maybe he will wake up and maybe he will understand the true meaning of Christmas and he'll be, <laughs> he'll be one of us again. And, yeah, maybe a slightly different version of Coulson on the team or just a guy called Sarge that looks like Clark Gregg on the team might be interesting. But I much preferred him being at odds with them in an ideological sense rather than being a, I'm an alien wearing Coulson's skin and now I must die. That's less exciting. That's less interesting. And I don't feel like they explained it all that well because it largely consisted of Fitz's theory of, but what if the monoliths formed a version of Coulson in a different time on another planet? It's like, that's quite a leap. <laughs> and then that turns out to be exactly what happened. It's like, well done, Fitz. What a theory. I don't know if the writers got told... Do you know what? We kind of want Clark Gregg to be in the season since we're getting another season. You've written this character called Sarge. What if, going to spitball us here, that was Coulson? Or a version of Coulson. And they went, how the hell are we going to make that happen? I don't know. Read back and see what Coulson did that could explain that. And they went, oh yeah, he did a thing with the monoliths. Okay, cool. And he goes, he's something that the monoliths did. Well, I'm sure we said offline when we were hearing about the new season how Clark Gregg was going to be playing a villainous character called Sarge. And it's like, and it just so happens that a villain that looks like their former boss appears shortly after their former boss dies. <laughs> That's convenient. Well, yeah, it is convenient. And because it's convenient, it has to be because of something they did. Yeah. And I was reasonably satisfied with that as an explanation in that sense. It explains why we have a guy that looks like Coulson and remembers being Coulson a bit as well. It's like, that name seems familiar. And when he starts getting his memories back, he calls Daisy Sky because he isn't quite there yet in terms of his memory. And he remembers his feelings for May or remembers May's feelings for him and things like that. So there is little tastes of his former life in there. But I'll keep banging that drum about. It was much more interesting when he was this force that didn't agree with them and had that mission that does align with theirs. But the way he does it is in a way that can't be tolerated. 
That was much more interesting than Alien wearing Coulson's skin at the end of the season. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. So what did you think of Izel? She was supposed to be our villain. She was only introduced in, what, episode 8? Yeah, yeah. She was quite late on because you sort of get introduced to her when Fitz and Simmons escape. Yeah. That's the earliest that you get anything to do with her. I think she was alright. My problem sort of came to the point where... It was like, oh, actually, she's kind of immortal and can just jump bodies development. Because I was more thinking, like, well, why isn't she doing that all the time? Why was she wandering about in the first place? I mean, I guess that gives you the clue of what Sarge is supposed to be. Mm. As in, and they even give him that name, don't they? The entity that's inside him, the Pashakutik, or however it's pronounced. Mm. So that's the being that's inside Sarge and stays in there. So Izel is the same thing. So they are the same being, or the, the same sort of being, the same species. That's the word I was looking for, species. Mm. They are the same species. So that gives you that connection. But I thought that was actually going to be playing more with the whole Sarge feels completely cheated by the fact that this has happened to him, or the Coulson personality has been overpowering and has changed the way that that entity thinks so He's actually against Izel and the Shrike and doesn't want mm. him to be this plague on the universe. Again, that's not what we got, but it would have been more interesting. I mean, I think Izel, she was very well acted, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And I think the actor was giving her a lot more depth than she actually had. And it was actually exemplified how ill-developed she was in the body invasion episode. Because at that point, we'd only seen her, what, twice? She'd only been in one or two episodes. So we had no idea of what her personality was like. And even by the end of the season, we don't get any idea of what her personality is like. So when people are acting out of sorts, they're acting out of sorts, that's fine. Everybody was doing that at some point in that episode, depending on who was possessed. Hmm. But you never really got a sense that Izel was in there because you don't know who she is or what she's supposed to be like. So. No, you've not really seen enough of her to see her being, I don't know, a bit catty or a bit bitchy. You don't really get that sense of her. And you've not seen her enough. Also, to be fair to the actors that are then playing that they've been body swapped, they've not seen enough of her in order to give her much depth when she's in there. But they'll have a greater sense of who she is because hmm. the direction will be, you have to act like this now. <laughs> Whereas... That doesn't always necessarily come across because we need a bit of an understanding of who she's supposed to be. So I think it works best when it's May that shoots Sarge or Izel in May's body that shoots Sarge. And then when they ask May about it, even though it's Izel, it's like, yeah, I shot him. I didn't want to look at him or whatever it was she said. And she was quite casual about it. And I guess at that point you can believe, yeah, May would maybe do that, honestly. May would perhaps not want this memory of Coulson hanging around the base and she's certainly been around Sarge enough to want him dead, perhaps. Mm. So, yeah, I was willing to believe that to that extent at that point. But then it does bog into the body-switching side of it. And I guess every science fiction TV show will eventually give you a homage to the thing. Yeah, you always end up with some version of it cropping up and coming around. <laughs> yeah, some entity that can either become or possess the cast and presents a danger that way I mean the way she escaped was cool yeah I did like that she sort of figured out that well I can jump into the bodies and I can basically keep hurting them until they give me what I want yeah not take advantage of the Mac yo-yo connection yeah they know they can't hurt me and and taking advantage of the yo-yo connection the fact that 
when she figured out, oh, you're keeping them away because if I get them, I'm sort of unstoppable. Like, okay, well, at some point, you is going to break out and go and, go and get caught because that's the one that's going to let her get away the quickest. Yeah, the not revealing the powers thing was cool. Mm. I like that. Let's not tell her who the most powerful people in the room are. That yeah. was clever. I, I like that angle. I also like that moment when Mac sort of sacrifices himself and go in. I, I forgot to talk about that when we were talking about Mac earlier on the fact that he decides to go in the jet. Mm-hmm. It took me a couple of passes before I was like, ah, oh, do you know what? Actually, that kind of makes a bit of sense. But yeah, I did like that. And I think when she was in Yo-Yo, you got a bit more of that power and that maliciousness. And even when she keeps tricking them by pretending that she's left them and woken up, yeah. So the other one wakes up and it's like, how many times are you going to pull this trick on them? <laughs> it's like every time they wake up now, I'm like expecting them to find out, oh, what did I do? Oh, well, you won't believe what you just, yeah. Yeah, so that was good. But then it became the maniacal being in a temple singing and chanting. And as much as nothing is out of place in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that almost feels a little bit out of place. It was one of those things that you're like, really? We've got magic sort of beings now and we're doing this temple ritual. But it did seem a bit wrong and a bit off the wall. I was also thinking, how are they going to get all the monoliths back together? I kind of like that element. It's going to conjure up the thing they fear most. And at that time, they were thinking, oh, what we really don't want is someone that can rebuild the monoliths. <laughs> and then <Flint> shows up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> like, how did we manage to do that? Anything like that in S.H.I.E.L.D. So it seems wrong. I think because of the way S.H.I.E.L.D. began, like you said earlier on, slightly more grounded in the pre-Winter Soldier escape that it was in but we've had a few of these sort of powerful beings of worship and whatever that we've had in shield and i forget how much ground they've covered even when i think it was mac that said it in the last season oh space of course we're in space yeah (laughs) Yeah. that is new that's something we've not done we've not done that yet yeah we've not done that yet so of course we're in space so magic temple sort of thing rituals yeah, probably makes sense. It's something they've not done yet. So the interesting thing about the monoliths is we've had monoliths since season two, the very end of season two, but it's been there since season two. And they've had different functions over the years. And Isel saying that there's three purposes. There's what, the space one, there's the time one, and there's another one. I can't remember what the other one is. There's a third one that does something else. <laughs> so you've got the three monoliths that do different things. And obviously the gravity belt, the gravitonium container thing had energy from all three, which allows them to do, I guess, one thing, which is reform Flint, who's then able to, for some reason, rebuild them. Which is basically what he did before, that's fine. Mm. He rebuilt the time one before. So, yeah, cool. So he's there, he's in the present day, and he's still there, which is, I guess, something to do next season. Yeah, they've sort of left that open, haven't they? They're like, oh, well, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, it works because he's as real as anything else in this situation. So that's cool. And I liked Flint last season, and I want to see more of him. I'd like them to bring back the girl that he was with as well, I forget her name. She was good as well. Yeah, I think um, Flint's a sort of cool character. I like that it ties in a little bit of what we were saying about Deke as well. It gives someone else from sort of Deke's time yeah. In there to play about with, so... And this is another way we can bring back Ward that they probably won't uh-huh. take advantage of. Do you know what? It's the final season, isn't it? It's the final season, so they're going to do callbacks and bits, aren't they? They're going to yeah. try and do a bit of an all-hands thing. 
Yeah, and maybe we will get word next season. So the monolith stuff, so what I was getting at is you've had this piece of mythology. It's like with the Chronicons, actually. Chronicon, whatever it is, however you pronounce it. It's like with those, you've got this thing and we'll keep bolting on little bits to it because the longer something goes, you have to enhance the mythology and it's good that mm. you can take something that's already there and build on it rather than introducing a new element. I'm not sure there's anything else we can do with the monoliths now because that's been done. Their purpose has been revealed now and it makes sense based on the purpose that we had before because they were being experimented on by people that didn't understand them before. So what Hydro were doing, they were just chucking people onto this planet because that's where it was sending them and they mm. didn't know why. So they didn't know how to control it and that makes sense. You figured out that there's a resonance frequency or whatever else, you know, you, that's the way you activate it. But there's no control over it, whereas Izel knows how to work it and then she opens this portal that I guess needs all three of them to make it work. Yeah, so plus you've also got to sing a song. Just to sing, yes. You need all three and to sing the magic words and the doorway opens. To sing the magic song. Yeah, I mean, like you say, we've kind of probably got to the end of the monoliths. It's like you've seen their origins, you've seen people experimenting with them. They've kind of been shields infinity stones, haven't they? A little bit. You know, you've sort of seen them get collected and you've seen them getting used and you've found out a little bit about their origins, you've found out their purpose. There you go. They've been a smaller scale version of that. Yeah, if they find any other use for them, I'm not sure what it'll be at this point because I can't see any greater use for it. It seems like that temple is just getting locked down and that's it. They won't deal with that anymore. It's not a problem anymore. Although, who knows? I guess that maybe they'll have some other function that we don't know about. Hmm. I don't know. The direction they seem to be going for the next season doesn't seem to hint that it'll be going down the mythology of that route, but you never know. You say that. I think next season is all about mythology, but more internal mythology. So, the season ends with Simmons showing up and being like, oh, by the way, we solved time travel. Now we're going to hop through time. And then they end up in, what, 1931, 1932, Mm. near the completion of the Empire State Building. And they're just flying through the air. And it's like, oh, we're lucky it's cloudy. I forgot to cloak the ship. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And you get these little teases like, where's Fitz? I don't know. I can never know. And then she talks to him two minutes later, which is weird. So that's that mystery. It's like, oh, we have separated them again. There's yeah. some cosmic reason that they can't be together. Oh, well, that was a fun five minutes. Oh, no, they're separated again. That's really tragic. So I think the next season is going to be about, in fact, if as good as said in that episode, that the next season is going to be about exploring S.H.I.E.L.D. through history because they need someone that knows S.H.I.E.L.D. inside out and who better than Coulson? I would say Nick Fury. Let's model your life model decoy after Nick Fury because he's going to know the answers. Although Samuel L. Jackson, way more expensive. <laughs> so we will get him. De-aged Samuel L. Jackson, no less. Yeah. <laughs> it's a neat theory, actually. I quite like that. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, so for whatever reason, they're going to jump through time because it's the Chronicoms have taken over the lighthouse and they want to make Earth their new home. And they're going to use time travel to stop that somehow. And that's going to involve, I guess, investigating different periods of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s history. Think Mm. of it like the 1970s scene from Endgame, but Mm. for a whole season. That'd be pretty cool. And have they mentioned that they're going to try and get Agent Carter in it? 
No, they haven't. Well, it was actually reported on a website that does nothing but spread fake information about ah, right, okay. stuff. So it would make sense to get Hayley Atwell in for an episode or two. Or have her join the team. Why the hell not? That'd be amazing for the whole cool. season. Yes, please. Yeah. Although it was recently announced she's going to be in Mission Impossible, so she might be too busy. Mission Impossible can wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have two choices. Mission Impossible or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's a tough one. Hmm. Agents yeah. of Shield, obviously. <laughs> obviously, of course. Obviously. Yeah. But it's an opportunity to get Ward back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do think it's kind of one of those things. It's like final season time travel. It means that anyone that they want to from their previous stuff, they can bump what? into and give like a. I'd quite like them to go back to pre-season one, where Ward is pretending to be an agent of Shield, rather than a Hydra agent, and they have to work with them. But knowing, knowing, knowing who he is, yeah. but kind of pushing that aside. I mean, I don't know who they could get to work with him because he won't know them yet, but he will eventually know them, that kind of thing. Time travel, it's weird. <laughs> Look out for a thesis on time travel coming soon to Neil Before Pod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, coming soon. I don't think the rules of time travel in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are the same as they are in, uh, in Endgame. Probably not. No. So... Next season with your Coulson LMD is the most advanced one because he's basically a Chronicom as well. Oh, that's true, actually. Yeah, because he's been built the most advanced one. So I'm looking forward to that. I think it's another way to keep Clark Gregg in it. It is like a blatant, yeah, we're going to keep this character in thing. And do you know what? It's the final season. I'll let them do it. Like I said, as many lives as Tom Cavanaugh. (laughs) Like I said (laughs) earlier on, they did a nice tie up for Coulson last season. If I can separate the characters out of my head then I'm all right with it. The problem is that it doesn't quite work that that way. I really like that bit where Mac is considering what they've all been through, what they've all experienced, what they've all had to accept in terms of Sarge. And before they activate the LMD, he says, we should consider the ramifications. And he doesn't even get to finish the word ramifications before Daisy slams the activation button (laughs) and wakes him up. So it's like, well, I made that decision for you. And it's that reckless part of her again that I quite like to see. And it makes sense completely. So I I love that. I I like at that point, it's like, I've been teased with potentially getting Coulson back already. And it turned out he was evil. I can actually get Coulson back. No, no. Yeah, I'm going for the full thing, and she smacks a lot. Now try and explain that to me when she wakes back up from her frozen coma. Well, I guess it's like, oh yeah, he's an LMD with Chronicom technology. Oh, yeah, oh by but... the way, we travel through time now. Yeah, we travel through time now, and we've built a robot Coulson. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what will we tell her first? Will we tell her that we're in the 30s, or will we tell her that... <laughs> but I'm excited to see what they'll do with that, the possibilities of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. becoming Quantum Leap. Yeah, there's something in there. Because the hint that you get from Simmons is that she doesn't know where she's going to be sent. So Fitz is obviously directing them to where they're going. Yeah. She doesn't have control of that. So I do like that, like you say, the sort of quantum leap element of they're not going to know where they're going when they get there kind of thing, but they've got something to do, obviously, each time. Yeah. I like that. There's tons of possibilities. When you put time travel in a show, when you put the ability to be anywhere on the planet, and time travel together, or potentially out in space as well. I don't know, presumably. Yeah, I mean, the Zephyr can literally go anywhere. Yeah, so it's putting tons of potential out there. So so is this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. becoming Legends of Tomorrow? It's <laughs> <laughs> the crossover we're waiting for. <laughs> That's it, yeah. The multiverse. 
Why not? Let's have it. They've both got weird, cool ships. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those like TV fights, Wave Rider v Zephyr. I think the Wave Rider would probably yeah, win. Yeah, uh, probably hands down. More but advanced, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Futuristic weaponry. Though we'll see. We'll see what yeah. future weaponry we've got. Yeah, so next season, final season, it seems like it's going to be a bit retrospective of S.H.I.E.L.D. as an organisation. Perhaps Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a TV show as well. Mm-hmm. Let's explore all the stuff that we've looked at. So basically what they might do is endgame. <laughs> I think in terms of the plot, it's actually hilarious when you think about it because if it is, we're going to have to revisit different eras of our personal histories to solve this problem. And when you think about the fact that the producers of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. weren't told what the writers and producers and so on of Infinity War and Endgame were planning to do. And I think it's hilarious that independently they came up with the same idea. <laughs> because this is that's what Endgame did. Albeit a lot more quickly in terms of how it handled it. Whereas this is going to be, what, maybe 13 hours of them doing this? 10 hours of them doing this? We don't know how long the time travel aspect of the season will last, if it'll be a couple of episodes, if it'll be a full season or anything like that. But <laughs> I do find it hilarious that the writers of Endgame and the writers of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. have essentially come up with the same idea without talking to each other. It is funny. <laughs> it does work out. Which I guess brings us on to, does the show belong in the MCU anymore? I think it's a hard no, to be honest. For no. one specific mm. reason. <laughs> okay, there is no evidence that half of the universe is gone. Yeah. I've got to say, my suspicion going into the season was if it was tied in properly, I was kind of hoping that this season was going to be the S.H.I.E.L.D. team trying to pick up things during the five-year gap that we've not seen. Like, if it was properly tied in, I thought that would have been a pretty cool season. They obviously didn't know what was going to be happening during Infinity War and Endgame. They didn't know what the result was going to be. They knew they were going to be coming out afterwards, so they were like, okay, we're just going to have to ignore it. I think it lost its tie-in, or it lost that integration with the MCU a while ago. I think the last thing I saw that was kind of properly tied in was the ramifications of Winter Soldier, and then they kind of lost the communication there, it seems. Well, there was quite a lot of mention of the events of Infinity War in the last season. There was mentions of them, but it didn't seem like anything that was any way integrated. It didn't seem that it was like, oh yeah, we've been let into insider knowledge and we've tied it in that way. Even we could have said, oh yeah, Thanos is coming, and dropped Thanos in a couple of times. That's not being tied into the film in any way. Although Graviton, or Talbot, said he knew his mission was to fight Thanos. That's the purpose he gave himself. That's mm. because the Kree were afraid of Thanos and there was the reports of the battle in New York that Tony Stark disappeared in and things like that. So it's really weird that they went from sidestepping that, side-referencing that to nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Thanos is even mentioned this season. Yeah, not a thing. And I think, yes, it's in the MCU. It's just in one of the many alternate realities where obviously something happened different. Yeah, Thanos and I think left. I think we've just got to yeah we've just got to accept that that it's sitting in one of these potential ones. Yeah. Thanos was killed. Thanos was killed. Thanos accidentally fell off his ship one day and died. Yeah. <laughs> Thanos whoopsied. I don't think it's tied in as much anymore. I think it's a bit of a shame. I think they could have done something with that integration. It would have done as a good filler. I don't think the show has suffered greatly for it. To be fair, I think if it had just been sort of gratuitous crowbarring in of MCU things for the last few seasons it wouldn't be that great 
Well, whenever they did that, that was some of the worst stuff that they did. Oh yeah, it was always a really badly crowbarred. The one that I always take the Mickey out of is them sweeping up after for the Dark World, <laughs> where they're basically picking through bits of London or CG'd London, and you're like, that's just it didn't need to be that. It's the big promotion that went into the oh, you've got to watch this in order to get different things that are going to be appearing here and there. It didn't really. I mean, the Winter Soldier tie-in was pretty well done. Yes, yeah, the that. Age of Ultron tie-in was all right. And some of the looser tie-ins they did, like, we're just going to introduce magic at the same time Doctor Strange is kind of coming out. And that's loose, but it's kind of following the, the template. And then mentioning Thanos here and there, or obliquely mentioning events that have been kicking about here and there in the background, that's okay. But this season, it's gone. I mean, it's only a year after the previous season, which is a year after the snap. But there has been no snap. If it is, everyone's moved on very quickly and very easily, and no one's that bothered. And, oh yeah, all of our principal characters just happened to have survived, so that was lucky. <laughs> everyone, you know, and there's no evidence of it in the universe, which I think it's jarring in the sense of, we started watching this show because, hey, it's tied to that universe of films you like. That's what got us in in the first place. You get to see Clark Gregg as Coulson, there's a mystery as to why he's alive, and maybe it is connected to the film's why he's alive, and maybe it isn't, and... As it went on, in fact, pretty early on in the season one, you were like, this has absolutely nothing to do with the MCU. If I stopped watching this, I wouldn't miss anything in the films. You know, this isn't adding anything whatsoever. It's given us little bits and pieces that might enhance... Well, no, I'm never going to say they're enhancing the films by it. Knowing that Coulson's team sent Maria Hill the information that leads Tony Stark and the Avengers to Strucker's Hydra base... Nah, don't need that. I'm willing to accept that they find that intel on their own. That's fine. Coulson hiding a helicarrier in his basement. (laughs) (laughs) And that ends up weirdly resolving a trust issue plot that they were playing with at the time. That was really disappointing because it's like, oh yeah, if you want to see why they trust Coulson, watch Age of Ultron. I'm like, no. (laughs) Well, I mean, I will watch Age of Ultron, but I'm not buying this as a resolution to this plot because there's got to be someone that's watching this show that doesn't watch the films or can't afford to watch the films at this point, you know, can't afford to get to the cinema yet. Especially when release dates are all mishmashed all over the place. yeah. Yeah, but on that note as well, I think that it's really jarring that we had so many references to Thanos and stuff last season, and now there's nothing. It might as well be a... You might as well take the Marvel logo off the show now. Other than the fact that S.H.I.E.L.D. is an organisation that is under the Marvel umbrella. That's it. That's where the connection seems to end at this point. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, but I don't think the show suffers greatly from that. It doesn't. No, in terms of... It's not as tied in as we would like, but I don't think it, it kills it off. In terms of what's on the screen, it's fine. Because as much as I like this interconnectivity stuff, I don't really need something to fully tie into another thing that I'm watching, because it's another thing to think about, I suppose. Mm. And I understand that the two entities that make up Marvel, you know, Marvel Entertainment and Marvel Studios, don't really talk to each other. So you've got Jeff Loeb that runs the TV side of things. Kevin Feige doesn't really talk to him. They don't collaborate much in any way. And I guess if they do, the collaboration will be, okay, we've got a film coming out, you have to tie into it in some way. That's why you have sweeping up after the Dark World. <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's the only thing we can think of at the time. Or 
Things like having Sif turn up, that's a good tie-in, that kind of stuff. It doesn't enhance or doesn't take away from anything. So I understand that they don't talk to each other, and so therefore they can't plan it in. So I imagine what they're having conversation in the writer's room. It's like, okay, we have to plan this new season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We've seen Infinity War. It ends with Thanos snapping away half the universe. We don't know that that isn't going to be undone from the moment it happened. We as writers don't know that. So we can't set our season a year in the future and play with that idea because we don't know that that idea will be retained. We don't know there will be a post-snap world to live in. It's probably fair to assume that it would have been undone. So maybe they operated on that assumption. That it never happened. Or it appeared to never happen to just people on the ground. Yeah, the chances are they've accepted that there's going to be a limitation here. If they're not going to be able to do anything well, then just blank it. Just yeah. ignore so it. So we're not going to let this thing that may or may not be done done get in the way of our story. And it's you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, because if they suddenly are living in this world where you're, you know, where half the universe has been snapped away, and then an end game, they all come back from the moment they left. And you've got this whole season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. taking place in this. So how can the next season start with anything other than a reset? (laughs) To the point of, all right, okay, now we can retell that year, I guess. Let's not do that. So I guess someone made a conscious decision to, let's split away. If anyone asks, it's a multiverse. We're in a different universe to endgame. So we'll just play with it from there. And maybe they'll cover that next season. Maybe they'll use the time travel to explain that. Because now they know the answer. Just as we do. Yeah. It's all there. All potentially there. Yeah. That was a long-winded ramble about my MCU thoughts. It's a long way around to saying I look forward to seeing how it develops. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think it can't be easy for them being beholden to this other universe. That's why your show exists. That's why it was commissioned in the first place but not actually being privy to all the stuff they want to do. I don't know how much communication they actually get. Well, you heard about how annoyed the actors were when they were told, oh yeah, by the way, we're uh, essentially killing your show. <laughs> you know, when Winter Soldier was coming out of them. What? How can we have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when there's no S.H.I.E.L.D.? That's it's... for you to work out. We've made our decision. <laughs> yeah. That's it. There's going to be no more S.H.I.E.L.D. as a global See entity. You later. So, yeah. uh, I don't know. You can still be on the air, though, I guess. So you're now, you're now agents of villains. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to introduce the Inhumans. It's like, well, we're going to scrap that film. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, yeah, and then we're going to do a really terrible TV show. It's like, well, our humans are better. It's like, uh, yeah, well, they are. Now we're going to do a Ms. Marvel TV show, and she might be an Inhuman, which will invalidate your Inhumans. <laughs> That's how I expect these people talk. Worded directly from the internal memos uh, yeah. that been going around. Yeah. And then Jeff Loeb or one of the other showrunners will just be like, Oh, well, we're going to make a deal with Sony to use Spider-Man in our show. <laughs> be brilliant. Can you imagine? Spider-Man uh, coming to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's like, oh yeah, we introduced Ghost Rider, by the way. A guy that you're also planning to introduce at some point. Uh-huh. All sorts of weird stuff. I don't know. Very weird. Very uh, weird. It is weird. But to be beholden to a universe that you can't be actually a part of it is very strange. But also really interesting the way that they just decided to ignore it because yeah they're not going to tell us what happens next so we're just going to tell our own story and now it's a tv show with people that used to be connected to a marvel cinematic universe that no longer are as such but maybe the next season will clear that up and i hope that they do to some degree i don't know i just like to have things explained sometimes okay so on that note do you have anything remaining to say on 
the sixth season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. No, I think I've covered it. I always come off podcasts and go, oh, I didn't mention whatever, but I think we've covered it. Yeah, me too. I'm just going to say about Benson a bit, because we didn't really cover him, but I think he was really good, but so badly underused. Mm. The thing about his dead husband, him being an alcoholic and all that stuff. Really interesting stuff, but he was just buried under all the other stuff that was going on. He was buried under all the other stuff, and then once Fitz and Simmons return, obviously he's then surplus to requirements almost. So, yeah, it's, we a, it's a bit of a shame they couldn't oh, we got develop our a bit more. Back. Uh, yeah. You go over there now. Yeah, we're going to put you over this bit. We need someone to explain science stuff to us, so we're bringing you in temporarily. But like you say, they hinted that there was so much more to that character, and it just kind of didn't go anywhere, which is a shame. Well, the husband stuff, and when he was being manipulated by the image of his mm. husband and things, that was really cool. But. Other than that, no. My final statement, I guess, is that I enjoyed this season and I like a lot of things they did with it. And I'm really looking forward to next season, the Quantum Leap, Legends of Tomorrow, (laughs) whatever template they're going to follow. Definitely. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hop in my (laughs) time-travelling airplane. And I'm going to sit here and direct you to where you're going to go next, but I'm not going to tell you where. So I'm going to go and visit key moments in my life (laughs) <laughs> this won't take long. So that was our discussion of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 6. Thanks to YouTuber Neil Stenson for the supplied music. If you enjoyed what you heard, then hit that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, please do leave us a comment and star rating. If you want to chat Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or anything else, then hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, we hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod.